sleep and relax ASMR. I wanted to take a moment uh, and say thank you for tuning in and listening to the podcast. I also wanted to mention that we just launched our website, which is sleepandrelaxasmr.com, just all spelled out. Uh, the website has all of our show episodes, news, and announcements, and it also has information for brands that are interested in sponsoring the show. But uh, most importantly, the website will make it easier to connect with you guys. Um, and I would love to get in touch with as many fans as possible. So I invite you guys to check out sleepandrelaxasmr.com. It's all spelled out. If you're confused about the spelling, just check out the show notes uh, and there will be a direct link. But that's all for now. Thanks again for tuning in and enjoy the episode. Chapter 7 a beetle bumbles back into the story. Unlike poor Oliver, Mr. Bumble the Beetle was happy as could be that bright morning. He came to the big metal gate of Mrs. Mann's work farm for poor children. He held his head high, for he thought he was a man of great power and importance. There is that foolish Bumble about Mrs. Mann as she went to open the gate. Mr. Bumble, come into the parlor, sir. Mr. Bumble proudly announced to Mrs. Mann that he was to make a very important trip to London. After giving Mrs. Mann her pay, he listened to news of the children. And little Dick, isn't that boy any better? asked Mr. Bumble. Mrs. Mann shook her head. He's a sickly, bad-tempered child, said Mr. Bumble angrily. Where is he? After some looking, Dick was found. His face was put under the pump washed and dried on Mrs. Mann's dress. Then he was brought to Mr. Bumble. The child was pale and thin, his cheeks were sunken, and his eyes large. Can't you look at the gentleman, you stubborn boy, said Mrs. Mann. The child quietly raised his eyes. You have everything you need, I'm sure, said Bumble. I should like, I should like for someone to write a few words down for me and keep it until after I am laid in the ground. What do you mean, child? I should like to leave my dear love in a note to poor Oliver Twist. I'd like to let him know how often I have sat by myself and cried to think of his wandering about in the dark nights with nobody to help him. And I should like to tell... And I should like to tell him, said the child, pressing his small hands together, that I was glad to die when I was very young. If I had lived to be a man and had grown old, my little sister, who was in heaven, might forget me. It would be so much happier if we were both children there together. Mr. Bumble looked at the little boy as if he could not believe what he heard. He cared nothing about little Dick. Turning to the woman, he said, They're all in it together, Mrs. Mann. That Oliver Twist is to blame for all this. He ruined them all. They have no respect. Take him away, ma'am. This must be reported to the board. Dick was immediately taken away and locked up in the basement. At six o'clock the next morning, Mr. Bumble left for London. By evening, he was enjoying a rather large meal at an inn and was reading the newspaper when suddenly he noticed a notice in the paper. Reward for lost boy, Oliver Twist. The notice went on to describe Oliver and how he had come to be lost. Mr. Brownlow's name and address were given at the bottom as the person offering the reward. Mr. Bumble did not even finish his meal. 
he rushed out of the inn and headed straight for, for Brownlow's house. Is Mr. Brownlow at home? He asked of the girl who opened the door. He was shown into the little library where Mrs. Bedwin, Mr. Brownlow, and his friend Mr. Grimwick were sitting. Grimwick whispered to Brownlow, If he's not a beetle, a parish. Sorry. Word was a little smile. 
and let them be arrested for what you did. From that day on, Oliver was almost never left alone. The two boys made sure they were with him. They played the old game of pick the pocket with Fagin every day. At other times, the old man will tell him stories of robberies he had taken part of in de during his younger days. Oliver could not help laughing. Oliver could not help but laugh sometimes. The sly Fagin was slowly leading Oliver into his trap. By keeping him busy with the games and the boys, he kept Oliver from thinking of anything else. He was filling Oliver's mind and soul with evil things and ideas, which he hoped would turn Oliver into a thief. One day, Fagin told Sykes about a house he had learned of from a new friend. The friend had told him of things worth stealing from the house. The robbery was planned with another thief named Toby Kraken. They needed... They needed someone small to crawl through a window. Fagin decided to put Oliver to work, since he was just the right size. Nancy, who stayed with Bill Sykes, went over to get Oliver that evening. You are to go with me, Nancy said, looking nervously around to be sure they were alone. She warned Oliver. If ever you are to escape from here, this is not the time. Remember this. I am your friend, but don't make me suffer for it. So keep quiet for now. If you say a word about this, Bill Sykes will beat me. They left for Sykes' hideout. When they arrived, Sykes spoke roughly to Oliver. Then the evil robber pulled out a gun and said he would use it if there was any trouble. Late that evening, Sykes and Crackett sneaked off with Oliver to a large house. Toby Crackett had two pistols and gave Sykes a stick to carry. Crackett put out his hand to Oliver. Now then, he said, the child without thinking, the child, excuse me, the child without thinking put his own little hand into Crackett's. And then, for the first time, Oliver realized what was about to take place. Housebreaking, robbery, maybe even murder. He sank into his knees. said Oliver. Let me run away and die in the fields. Pray have mercy on me, and do not make me steal. The man refused his pleas, and Crackett dragged Oliver behind him. Sykes pointed to a tiny window, just the right size for Oliver. Oliver felt helpless. He made up his mind to somehow let the owners of the house know what was happening, even if it meant his death. He climbed through the window. Once inside the house, he opened a door for Sykes and Crackett. Oliver started to make a dash to warn someone. Sykes saw him and shouted out. Then a, then a cry came from upstairs. Oliver stood there like a frightened animal. He didn't know whether to stay or run. There was another cry from upstairs, and a light appeared. Two men, frightened and half-dressed, came to the top of the stairs. There was a flash and a loud noise. They've shot him, called Sykes. Quick, the boy's bleeding. Sykes grabbed Oliver and ran out of the house. Oliver could hear shouts behind him. Someone was chasing him. Then he fainted and there no more. Chapter 9 A Secret Never Dies Outside London, one cold evening, 
matron who ran the workhouse sat by a cozy fire in her own cheerful little room. She was Mrs. Corney, a widow. She had just tasted her first sip of tea when she heard a soft tap at the door. Come in, she said sharply. What's wrong now? At your service, ma'am, said Mr. Bumble. Mrs. Corney jumped up at once and began making him some tea. Care for something sweet, Mr. Bumble? asked the matron. Very sweet indeed, ma'am, replied Mr. Bumble. He looked right at Mrs. Corney as he said this. If ever a parish beetle could be tender, Mr. Bumble acted tender at that moment. In time, he brought his chair close. He drank his tea to the last drop, finished a piece of toast, wiped his lips, and then kissed the flustered woman. Mr. Bumble, she giggled, just as there came a knock at the door of her room. If you please, mistress, said a wrinkled old woman. Old Sally is going up fast, but she says she can't die in peace until you come. Mrs. Corney went upstairs, mumbling unkind remarks about old women who couldn't even die without her. Mr. Bumble stayed in the room. While Mrs. Corney was gone, Mr. Bumble had a close look around her room. He opened closets, counted the silver teaspoons, and closely checked the milk pitcher to make sure it was real silver. Then, making himself comfortable in front of the fire, he studied all the furniture and figured up and figured up what it might be worth. Upstairs, Mrs. Corney and two old pauper women bent over board Sally. Come here, nearer, let me whisper in your ear, the dying woman said. She reached out and held Mrs. Corney by the arm. She was... She was about to speak when she saw the two other women leaning forward. Send them away, said the woman. Hurry. Mrs. Corney sent them out of the room. Now listen to me, said the dying woman. In this very room, in this very bed, I once nursed a pretty young girl. She gave birth to a boy and died. What about her, said Mrs. Corney. Sitting right up in the bed, the dying woman cried. I robbed her. She wasn't cold. I tell you, her body wasn't cold when I stole it. Stole what, for heaven's sake? cried Mrs. Corney. Cold, said the woman as she fell back. Go on. Who was the mother? When was this? She asked me to keep it safe, groaned the woman, and trusted me. And the poor child. Maybe they would have treated him better if they had, know, if they had known it all. The mother whispered in my ear that if her baby was born alive and grew older, the day might come when he could be proud of his mother. She could have sold the gold for food, but no, she had saved it for the baby. And she trusted me. He might have had a different life, but I stole all he had. The boy's name, Mrs. Corney, was very interested now. He grew to look like her. They called him Oliver, replied the woman feebly. The gold I stole was... Mrs. Corney quickly put her ear to the old woman's mouth, but drew back. Old Sally fell back on the bed and died. Her hand dropped from Mrs. Corney's arm and fell open. Mrs. Corney took a small piece of paper from the hand and quickly put it in her apron pocket. Looking around, she turned and, hur and hurried out 
Chapter 10 Fagin's Secret Meeting Toby Crackett had gone to Fagin's house after he and Sykes had made their escape. He did not like having to tell Fagin that the robbery had failed and Oliver had been shot. They were close to catching us, so we left the young boy lying in a ditch. I don't know if he was alive or dead. Fagin listened to no more. He gave a loud yell, rushed from the house, and ran into the streets. Once more, he had lost Oliver. Fagin stumbled through the town, wild from hearing Crackett's words. He had a secret reason for wanting the boy. He hurried to a small inn, called The Three Cripples. Fagin went to the innkeeper and asked, Will he be here tonight? Monks, you mean? The owner of the inn asked. Yes, tell him I came here to see him. Tell him he must come to me tomorrow. Don't say a thing about this, warned Fagin, walking out the door. He stopped a carriage and paid the driver to take, to take him to Mr. Sykes' hideout. Nancy was there alone. Her head was on the table crying. Fagin thought she was crying for the boy. Poor Oliver, said Fagin. Poor little child, left in a ditch. Nancy, just think about that poor boy. The child, said the girl, suddenly looking up, is better where he is than with us. And as long as no harm comes to Bill from it, I hope he does lie dead in the ditch. What? cried Fagin, who could not believe what he had heard. I shall be glad to have him out of my sight and to know that the worst is over. Just seeing that sweet boy makes me hate myself and all of you, sobbed the girl. That boy means a great deal to me too, cried Fagin. Why, he's worth hundreds to me. Fagin realized he was saying too much. But you never mind what I said just now, Nancy. Yes, my dear. Fagin's eyes looked wild as he hurried out the door. Fagin had reached the corner of his own street when a dark figure stepped out of the... When a dark figure stepped out of the shadows, he was a tall, well-dressed young man, but his face was pale and twisted. His eyes were deeply set, and his mouth turned up on one side. Fagin, the figure whispered. Monks, Fagin whispered back. He waved his arm at the strange man and led the way to his hideout. Safely inside, they began talking about the robbery. I gave you good information, said Monks, but I tell you again, it was badly planned. You used the boy. Why didn't you just keep the boy here and make a pickpocket out of him right away? He would have been arrested within a year, put in prison, and maybe sent safely out of the country, maybe for life. That wouldn't have done me much good. I need to get some use out of the boy. Just won't turn bad, I tell you. He's not like the other boys, said Fagin weakly. Well, you know, you saw for yourself when you got caught for pickpocketing with Dodger and Bates. The strange man with the pale, twisted face glared at Fagin. Never mind all that. You know what I want. I don't care about your business. I care about being rid of that boy for good. I have...
reasons than you for wanting that boy's mouth shut. Then Fagin hunched over and said quietly, You should thank me that you ever found him to begin with. If you had knocked him down that day for the police, you never would have recognized his face and started asking about the boy. You never would have found out what he was. Sorry. You never would have found out he was the one you had been searching for. Enough, snarl, snarled Monks. You must get him back and turn him bad. He could ruin everything for me. Suddenly Monks looked out the window. What's that? He whispered. Where? said Fagin. That shadow. I thought I saw the shadow of a woman in a cloak and bonnet, like a breath of air passing by. Fagin rushed from the room, candle in hand, but found nothing. Monks decided he must have been seeing things that weren't there. So that'll be all for this episode. Um, again, if you guys are enjoying the series, I'll be glad to keep on doing them. Um, that's the end of this episode. Uh, if you want to get in touch with the show, remember you can send an email to sleepandrelaxasmr at gmail.com and check out the website sleepandrelaxasmr.com is a link in the show description but um, as always thank you guys for listening and enjoy the rest of your day or night until next time